This podcast is supported by CoinKite, the one-stop shop for everything you need to secure, use, and express your obsession for Bitcoin. The MK4, a new version of the hugely popular cold card hardware wallet, is out now with lots of new features for helping you to secure your Bitcoin. If you like to keep track of block time or keep track of the SATS USD exchange rate, the Block Clock Mini is the way to do it. And the gang at CoinKite have recently released the Tap Signer, which is an NFC-enabled card which holds a private key, allowing you to separate your keys from your wallets while still allowing for super easy transaction signing. To learn more about all their awesome gear and stay up to date on their new products, visit coinkite.com. Let's do it. There we go. We're being live streamed. Finally. Man, you'd think I'd get better at this over time, but not the case. (laughs) How are you guys doing? Good. Excited and nervous, but excited. (laughs) Well, thanks for, uh, you know, reaching out and, and being willing to have a chat with me today. I know you... A couple of months ago, I think it was you reached out and you basically said, you know, I'm a, a mother of three in Canada and I like Bitcoin and I'd be happy to share my story. And then we finally put it together. So, uh, and Sam, you, you got uh, tagged along for the ride as well. And then I dragged uh, my hubby along. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I'm, I'm part of the story, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, let's, let's break into it. Tell me, tell me the story. You know, if you, I'm Canadian as well, of course, as many listeners will know, and I, uh, I escaped, but I guess you guys are hanging back and fighting good fights. So <laughs> tell me uh, the rabbit hole story and we'll get into it. It kind of started with Sam. I'll let you start, Hein, and then I'll okay. jump in. All right. Uh, so it started back in March 2020. We were in uh, Florida at uh, my wife's grandma's trailer, and we were getting word that Apparently, we're not going to be able to go back home, possibly, and the markets are going to shut down, or, or the country's going to shut down, different things like that. I been thinking, okay, well, we've um, now might be a time to start looking at stocks and things like that. It might be a good time to buy if we, if, if we have some some money to do so. So I was kind of looking on the side and 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 looking at that and started getting into, um, say, stocks a bit. We have some some friends and family that have gone into it and done well with it and thought, well, how hard could it be? <laughs> um, so I look at that and then did that over, over a period of time, but it actually is very hard. <laughs> and if you're trying to you know, trade or whatever, it takes a lot of time and everything's very volatile and all these smaller stocks you have come to realize aren't necessarily even companies. They're more just <laughs> pump and dumps, you could say. And, yeah, kind of. It was it was frustrating for sure. And then, but through some contacts or whatever, um, we actually got recommended your podcast with Michael Saylor, the Bitcoin is Hope one. So thank you for that. And I listened to that and I'm like, wow, this sounds a lot easier. <laughs> Just <laughs> pick, pick a winner and go. But what it also did was just kind of open up my eyes, I guess you could say, to what is money. Um the fact of money as energy was super eye-opening. Like that was such a cool concept and and time preference and, and just all those things. And then down the rabbit hole of learning about how our current system works uh, and it just kind of spiraled from there. But one thing that I, I did have is I was doing star and do well with that. And then in the end, it loses, lose, lost some money in it, but I didn't, we weren't in it together as, as a family. So the one thing with learning, hearing that podcast, I said, I said, if, if we are going to get into this and, and invest a little bit in it, you could say, um, I definitely want to do that together as a family. So I had 
Kara listened to it or forced her to listen to that podcast. Well, I was, that's because I was like, you, you are not investing another dime into stocks unless we make this decision together. And like, yeah. he had some that were, were winners and then some that caused a, a bit of conflict between the two of us. So <laughs> I was like, any other money that we invest, we are making that decision fully together. And that way, like if it does lose, we're both taking the risk together and we're both like fully aware and have communicated about that. Sure. So he comes over to me with this Bitcoin thing. And I'm like, Oh, good grief. Like this sounds like a total scam, whatever. <laughs> I don't know. And then, and then like, he makes, he makes you watch this, you know, somewhat esoteric billionaire and some random guy on the internet <laughs> totally. talking about Bitcoin. Yeah. It, it helped that you were, it helped that you were Canadian and you seemed like, you know, normal and like, cause Michael Saylor is kind of out of our league, but it definitely intrigued me right away when I started listening to it. And I was totally like hooked from that podcast. I was like, okay, this is, this is something different. Like this isn't just sort of, you know, random stocks. This is a concept. This is a technology. This deserves a bit more digging. So then from there on, I said to Sam, you know what, I'm intrigued. Let me do some more reading and studying and then i'll get back to you about that investment in the meantime bitcoin is like climbing up right so sam's putting the pressure on me i'm like <laughs> give me some time this was like um the fall 2020 at this point right. and that's when i had like a major bull run so and listening to michael saylor kind of makes you a bit bullish as well every time i listen to something he says so i but i wanted to just, take this just a bit just a bit more <laughs> So um, then I moved on to the Bitcoin standard by Safedine. And I think that was, that was super instrumental in my uh, coming around on Bitcoin. So, yeah, well, that, like many people, I suspect, but we'll get to that part. So, I, I mean, there's a lot to unpack there. You know, the first thing uh, that came to mind, Sam, is like how, because I think, a, you know, COVID and March 2020 was a big moment for a lot of people. Like it just shook a lot of people's world up and the world changed very dramatically. And everyone was trying to figure out how to reorient themselves and, get through it or take advantage of it. And the thing that comes to mind, like when you mentioned, you know, trading stocks was uh, Dave Portnoy and Davey Day Trader, you know, like with his big green hammer. And I feel like that'll be a, an air, a slice of time that'll be studied in the future because it was just this time when like, like things, things crashed and then they just fired up the money printers like they never had before. And, you know, everyone kind of was <laughs> dabbling in that. And then you have like the meme stock uh, phenomenon and then, of course, you know, Bitcoin and, and the crypto uh, phenomenon as well. And it was just like, just a really unique time. And now it seems like that's starting to, you know, who knows if the party is ending or if it's taking a break or, or how it's all going to play out. But some reality has been brought back to that whole domain, you know, and, and uh, people are figuring out like what's real and what's not real. And I, I think we'd all agree that, that Bitcoin is probably the most real thing among all those things. But what... Um, Kara, what was it about? I mean, other than the fact that I was like, you know, a nice enough young man and Sailor seemed to have some good points. Like, what was it? Did he say anything in that interview that like really landed, you know, because you were coming at it so fresh, right? Like, of course, you know, as you said, you, you felt like it was kind of a scam as many people do when they come into Bitcoin. And as I said, I mean, that, that, that interview I, like I've heard a lot of people say it was is helpful, but it also wasn't the most like buttoned up interview. Like Sailor was a a little a little bit oddball billionaire, even though there was a lot of like salient points. So like, what was there anything that sticks out in your mind that he said that kind of made things click a little bit? 
I think for me, one of the, the main points that stuck out was just the whole concept of inflation and printing of money. And from his perspective as a business owner of having sort of a cash rich company and what does he do with that? And so that kind of hit me because at the same time, Sam and I had been discussing, like, how do, how are we going to be responsible? You know, if we do have some savings or, you know, what do we save? What do we invest? And we had had like couples around us that were younger than us or like my younger siblings who were saving so hard to get into the market around our area. And they saved and they were responsible and they were working hard. And in the meantime, like the housing market and everything was just ballooning out of their grasp. And I, I just found something about that just seemed so wrong that like all their hard earned time and energy was just, it would have been better to just play risky with a ton of debt and they would have just, you know, their housing, housing costs would have um, been, it would have been a better decision to jump into the market with, with less money, put it that way. So I think those things were kind of, we're, we're noticing that around us, those ideas were sort of rolling in our own minds. And then for us in our marriage, thinking about like, how, how do we responsibly invest? Um, so then that when the concept of inflation was sort of explained by Sailor and his perspective as a business, I think that that really stuck out to me. There's something really unfair about the printing of money and how that's done and how that, you know, takes away from the, the time and the resources and energy of, of hardworking people who are trying to do the right thing with saving. And so then that, that opened the whole rabbit hole of what is money and, and how does it work and time preference uh, and human effort as well. So. And had, any, had any of this been at all on your guys' radar before? Because, you know, a lot of people that come to Bitcoin maybe come from like a gold background or libertarian. I mean, not so much the case anymore. This Bitcoin is so big. But like in the early days, was any of that, you know, were you skeptical of the financial system? Were you, you know, a sense of impending, you know, financial collapse, any of that kind of stuff? Or were you just trying to figure out like a solution to a problem, which was, you know, devaluation of money by inflation sort of thing? You want, go ahead, Sam. Yeah, today, like for me, there was a bit of a pressure. It's like, oh, you know, we we would like to get a shed or we'd like to get these things. And it's a constant that that would be kind of consumption. It'd be nice to get things, but it's like, it's so hard to get those. Like, I guess our money is being taken just to, to live and we are well off pretty good. So we're like, we can't imagine someone trying to save for a house. And I think we talked to someone else, but it's like they're saving, they saved 20, 30, 40,000 and it just got decimated by the house prices going up and i think that's where a sailor talks about your you know money being energy and then it started to click for me it's like yeah i go out and work for the day and someone gives you a hundred dollars that's representation of your hundred dollars or sort of your hours worked your energy worked and then that can just be uh devalued by changing the denominator without any say in it it's like that's unbelievable and it's like how jeff booth talks about it's like well it's two two percent theft okay it's like oh no this just changes everything and 100 percent, it wasn't on the radar at all just kind of living life and whatever our money is our money i remember learning in university took a bachelor of arts in business and the idea of well it's just a piece of paper it has no value and that was that was interesting it's like okay money is a belief but we never got into sound money or anything like that and that's just like oh man come on we need to learn that stuff and we need to be taught that in high school because whether you're a garbage man or a president or, or a CEO, we need to understand how money works and we don't, we don't learn that at all. Yeah. And I think for me too, something that I struggled with was it just, 
when it's tampered with so much, it seems so complicated. And like it, Sam and I are like pretty conservative in background and um, both of us are Christians. So also like the concept of truth really resonated with us. Like, and, and that kind of started, those things kind of come, started to come together with the idea of money and like what, what is truth. And so then that takes you down kind of the whole rabbit hole of the gold standard and then coming off the gold standard. And there's so many pieces there where it's, and I think Sam has this sometimes, and sometimes I'm like in conversations with our friends, I'm like, hey, just like tone it down, Sam, because like a lot of people, you know. Trust me, I understand. I'm like that meme where she's holding the dog's mouth. Yeah, I because I think too, a lot of people think it's just this like, oh, it's this get rich scheme. It's this, you know, so when you talk about it too much, like they think it just has to do with sort of this desire for your money to, to, to make you millions or whatever. But for, for Sam really strongly, and I think I, I can appreciate this about him, even if others maybe don't always understand it, it's, it's sort of this sense of injustice and um, yeah, like a lack of truth and, and sound money. And like the Bible talks a lot about like having fair and balanced measures. Right. And, and, uh, so when, when Safedine talked about that, like the, the clipping of the gold coins and the silver coins and, and that idea of inflation just, yeah, those, those pieces, I think really resonated with us more than maybe even some of the other concepts of Bitcoin, like Metcalf's law and all that stuff. It was more just, this seems really unjust the current system and then seeing Bitcoin as like, just because people are like, well, what is Bitcoin, right? And you're like, when you start to get down to it, just being a, a fair ledger that tracks, you know, money, it just, yeah, it's suddenly, it's a different ball game than the current system. And, and that part really intrigues us. Totally. And I think, you know, speaking about how this going down the rabbit hole kind of changes your orientation and your perspective and, you know, many aspects of how you think about things. S Sam, do I see behind you, the meme pool, uh, like the relatively new, uh, like visualization of blocks being formed. Is that what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. So That's I'm so, like, it's so important to run a node apparently. <laughs> so I wanted to do that, but I did it. I just bought a laptop and, uh, downloaded it through, um, Bitcoin core and our internet's really bad. So it took about a month or two, <laughs> but it's been fun. So I'm like, I need something to visualize a little art piece. So I've been now that I, I love that, it. I love it. That's so cool. You know, but the, the, the point you guys are making, it's, it doesn't show up in business school. You don't hear it talk about in, you know, financial media or anything, but it's the, but in Bitcoin land, we talk about it a lot, which is the, in this environment, in a global fiat currency environment where there's so much debasement and much of it is like obfuscated. Everyone has to be a financial professional in order to go out and, into the market and get, you know, anywhere between, I don't know, eight and 20%, if not higher in certain uh, markets and countries on their money, just to maintain the value of their savings, you know, which is crazy, you know, because what that ends up doing is everyone has to go out further on the risk curve. And then that creates more systemic risk and you get these big blow ups and, you know, the whole thing becomes more fragile. And it's, as you said, Kara, it's something so simple. It's like, everyone just wants fair money. We just want a fair accounting of our work. I work I provide value to you, to a market, to whatever. I get compensated in return at a rate that both myself and the person who I'm providing value to agrees upon. And that's it. And then I have money to live my life, you know, to see me through the uncertainty of life. Is that so much to ask? You know, it's such a simple thing. And, 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 and go sorry, ahead. To, to tag off of that a little bit too, the that idea of time preference, just like that one really stuck with me as well, because what happens is, 
in in a in a system where it's manipulated and when your money's being debased it creates it creates this like almost panic urgency like i can't tell you how many people i know who just everything is bought on payments quick and it's in some ways i'm like it's funny how that's almost rewarded because over time your money is devaluing so you know it's a it's like ends up being cheaper for them maybe in the end, but it just creates a society of really immediate purchasing versus the time preference of saving for investments when you, when you feel ready or when you want to do that. And I think that that does something psychologically to a culture in how they interact and in how they view the future as well and the future for their children and, their heritage. I don't know. So I, I feel like everything gets a bit distorted and it, it just seems really ungrounded from, from reality and from really solid principles. Totally. I mean, I think a lot gets distorted. I think it'll be the subject of many, you know, books and courses and, uh, you know, all that kind of stuff in the future to investigate just how much that, that little mechanism that changes that time preference, how much it affects so many different things in society. I mean, SAFE has been one who's really introduced that term to a lot of people and explored it in great detail. But it's so true. I mean, even as you say, I mean, if you think your money is going to be worth less, even if it's subconscious, you're going to go out and spend it, right? Because you want to get the most bang for your buck. But I think it, you know, the fact that people are being surreptitiously stolen from on a regular basis, no matter if your money's in the bank or, or, or if it's under the mattress or wherever, it creates this like underlying sense of anxiety, you know, because you, you realize that like you're, time is slipping through your hands basically you know it's getting away from you and and your capacity to engage the world in the way you want and to discover value and to provide value you you like you're being it, it's uh it, you're being forced to do it on a, at a faster rate than you otherwise would and that leaves you less time to be considerate about how you do that and it leaves you less time to you know uh discover value and and you know that's such a big concept that a lot of people don't think about either. Like just what value is. And, and as you said, I mean, traditional values, whether they be found in traditional cultures, or as you said, like in, in, in the Bible and in Christianity, I mean, there's some, you could, uh, you could describe that enterprise as trying to elucidate what the greatest values are so that people can align with them and bring them into their life and le- use them to orient their life toward the greater good. And the fact that, you know, the, the primary means by which we exchange value has this, this fault in it means that we're, we're in a far lesser position by which to engage that process because we're, we're, we're having to just tread water rather than build something up, you know, and, and really engage in that as consciously uh, and fully as, as we might otherwise be able to do. And here is Bitcoin just kind of delivering that, which I think is part of the reason among many that people are seeing these relationships between other domains of investigating and exploring what value is and what even the highest values might be, whether it be religion or philosophy and relating it back to something like money and something in Bitcoin, because there definitely is a connection there many. And, you know, I think we're only just scratching the surface on what some of them might be. For sure. And I think, I think you bring so many great points there, especially that concept also not only of like urgency or anxiety, but also apathy, because over time, when you feel like it's useless to, to save for something, or you feel like you can't get ahead, I think it just Mm -hmm. creates this resignation to 
this reality around you, which, so that, that concept, the title of that um, interview that you did with safe, with a uh, sailor was Bitcoin is hope. And I, like, I kind of balk against like, just naturally, I think any idea that something's like this overall, you know, perfect savior, it's going to rescue us from war. Like, I, I think I push back on some of those themes that I feel sometimes within like the Bitcoin community, but I, but I also am shocked at how much just, the, the idea of Bitcoin and what it stands for does bleed into so many areas of life. Like you said, like it, even just Jason Lowry's perspective on, on how it affects war or relationships between nations and things. So I think there's a lot there to unpack, but I think ultimately like there's still a reality of sort of human nature and interaction and, and social relationships and things. So I don't think it'll just all of a sudden make everybody, you know, just angels, Saints. but yeah, I, I think I am surprised at how much it bleeds into and how much money is like sort of a foundational also interaction and form of communication, even in relationships. Right. So it, it, it builds trust. And so when all of that is sort of when it's devalued or when it's been, you know, manipulated, it fundamentally will, I think, cause more distress, even in relationships and business dealings or whatever. So I think it does, it does impact a lot of spheres of life. So I'm not negating that. I just don't think it's going to make every war cease. Yeah. <laughs> but Well, I mean, th this is a point, you know, Rob has been talking about this a lot lately. Um, and, I, and I think it's very valid that the, the, the kind of the architecture of the world that we interact with is very much predicated on our social interactions and culture. And, and those, that is very much predicated or at least very much influenced by the money, right? By our exchanges and by how we create value. And so I think it stands pretty easily to reason that if you change that mechanism of value expression and storage, quote unquote, then you're going to change somewhat the manner in which we engage that architecture to derive our own sanity, to derive our own, you know, clarity, to derive our own uh, moving towards the things that we value, right? To, towards achieving our own ends or satisfying our own desires. And um, so I think it's very, again, something that will be probably studied a lot in the future, but a very apt point to say that it's no wonder that um, when you have a false money, when you have a means that introduces so much distortion, into that relationship that people become somewhat destabilized because that it, you're not, there's not a very clear line of communication between the two. And so that relationship that becomes established is uh, imperfect to say the least. But when you have a, a pristine line of communication between, you know, yourself and that external architecture that is society and culture and market, then you're on a much better basis to establish stability, right? To integrate more, for lack of a better term, healthily with that broader social, socio-cultural economic dynamic. And, um, you know, you, we look around the world today and now that I'm speaking to a couple of hardcore Bitcoiners, you know, we, we look and we say, well, look at that result of the fiat world, right? Whether it's like partially responsible for the mental health crisis that seems to be prevailing, at least in the Western world, or partially responsible for you know, a lot of the despair that people are encountering and a lot of the the anxiety and associated, you know, negative mental states that are predicated on, or at least, again, greatly uh, a greatly influenced by the, the relative deprivation that, that this system is causing, right? Because as you referenced earlier, like you can save and save and save and save, but if you're constantly being stolen from, you're kept in that state where you feel like, 
th- that apathetic state. It's like, well, what's the point? You know, I'm just, I'm not getting anywhere. And then, it, you know, that, that, whole, that what's the point mentality bleeds into other areas of your life. Like where is meaning in my life? You know, like if I, I can't move towards the things that I value most, I can't achieve. I, I mean, it's much more difficult for me to actualize myself, broadly speaking. Well, well, who can, like, who cares, you know, and you, I don't think it's right to completely abdicate that responsibility, regardless of your circumstance, right? You can be put in the most horrific circumstances and it's still your responsibility to determine the best way to move forward. But again, you can like, I have a certain, or I have a large degree of sympathy for people that feel like they're fighting an increasingly uphill battle because they are. And that, you know, of course, that's going to demotivate a lot of people and it's going to cause them to, find many ways of coping and dealing with that. And I think we would all agree that most of them are unhealthy because they don't ultimately lead to moving towards them more effectively. And I think we could look around the world today and see many, many manifestations of that. Yeah. Like there's severe consequences because of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like I was, yeah. I was just going to say, like, you see that graph of the money supply going up or whatever, like you could view that as your stress level, right. Or your, your need, your, your work, load is increasing because you have to get a better job or you have to ask for a raise or you have to work two jobs and it just keeps going up. I even was thinking during the whole truckers protest and all that, it's like your need to possibly relocate is going up or, or your need to own a protective device, all these different things change and it becomes self-preservation because everybody in the system now needs to do whatever it takes to maintain a set, set sense of protection or a, or a level of protection or a level of economic value so it, it just it just starts the whole system starts to go parabolic and i think that's why you do start to see i mean you start to see revolutions or or chaos coming right out of and it. it's almost like it, it it puts you more into a fight or flight mode right and, yeah. and you know that's kind of the that's the underlying substrate for revolutions and protests and and people just expressing that angst, tension, dissatisfaction in, in a variety of ways. And that's not good. I mean, I mean even from a strictly ph- uh, physiological perspective, you know, that fight or flight mode is one where there's more stress hormones being released, right? And that's destructive to your physiology, right? It's not, the body's not designed to be in that place all the time, but we, we exist in a system that's increasingly fostering that because of, you know, the the fraud and the unfairness that's being introduced to our money basically and i think sometimes it's below the surface and so people oh, yeah. maybe assume it's not there if they're not impacted by it but it's bubbling and it could you know it could just explode at, at a point in time when that yeah the people who are being impacted the most by it you know revolt or whatever jeff booth talks about that right like the, the idea of the parallel system because the way the other system is going is only to sort of like a, some sort of revolution if you think of um, empires in the past that have fallen through the debasement of their money. I, and that's why I kind of, I'm really intrigued by Jason Lowry's thoughts on how Bitcoin is, it also provides the alternative, which is sort of a form of like offensive and defensive warfare. So like the idea of, because you can only steal the 12 word keys, um, you, you can't really, uh, even with a gun to somebody's head, it doesn't mean you're going to get them. So there, there is a form there of like a counter perspective on what the current fiat system does. Um, and, and I just find that interesting because ne- it, it produces negotiation versus violence in order yeah. to try to win people over in a different way. 
Totally. I mean, that's one of the things that's so beautiful about, you know, the change in the logic of violence as to use the sovereign individuals terminology, but it's that when, you know, when theft is no longer possible, or at least when theft becomes much, much, much more difficult then the only other avenue for getting what you want is by providing value to someone such that they're going to, you're going to uh, inspire them to voluntarily give you what you want. Mm -hmm. And I think any level headed person would agree that that is the better way to establish interpersonal relationships and interactions between humans that have a broad diversity of wants and needs and on different timescales and all that kind of stuff. I mean, that's the way it should be. I, I, I think many of us in Bitcoin probably believe that. And the fact that, all that's required to make that possible, or maybe not all because it's quite a big change, but it's, it's, it's as simple as no more theft. When you disallow theft, what happens? You get people that are forced to play by the rules to foster voluntary exchange to get what they want. And I think not only does that mean less friction and conflict in human interactions, but it probably also means a lot more flourishing of the things that we value and abundance around the things that we want and need and also greater clarity because when you're again when we're taken out of that state of fight or flight where we're one fighting for limited and scarce resources but two just trying to get enough to get by and we're we're in such a uh you know hypersensitized state let's say when we're out of that i think we're in a much better position to actually and this is going back to something we said earlier but to determine what is of greatest value Again, I think this is why the religious discussions are, are happening a lot in the space now as well, because again, that's what that domain is part of the purpose of that domain is like, well, all else being equal, you know, what are the things of greatest value? What sh should we be trying to do with our lives? What, what, what type of people should we be trying to become? And I think that an environment where theft is impossible and people are able to accrue a baseline of security and people know that the interactions are going to be predicated on voluntary exchange, it's just going to foster this increasing ability and clarity around determining what's valuable, what's most valuable to me, and what's most valuable about myself that I can exchange for the things that I, I think are valuable that I want to introduce or accumulate in my life. And that's awesome you know because we've never really been in a position like that before and i think also that that state of of knowing that it's again i don't want to say theft is no longer possible but way 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 harder than it's ever been before there's this like dawning of a kind of calmness you know people have referred to it as bitcoin zen you know like when you know you're going to work and if and you can if you save that your wealth is going to be there for you then there's all this stuff that we've been talking about, this hypersensitized sensitized state, this the fight or flight, the anxiety, all that that gets dialed down. And again, you're just what is your what is human consciousness when it's not so concerned with the necessity of necessities of life, when it's not so concerned with you know conflict and conflict resolution in your interpersonal, your professional life. Like when all that stuff gets dialed down and you 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 just the space of clarity just gets broadened and broadened and broadened. And I think part of the reason why we're all so interested in having these discussions and there's so much like the the pace in, in the development of quote unquote Bitcoin culture is so frenetic is because like all of these questions are kind of bubbling up. And for the first time in our lives, we're in a, we're in a position where we can actually quote unquote afford to consider them. It's like, and increasingly over, over time, notwithstanding the volatility, but like we, 
it's just like the relevance of these these big questions is re-emerging and it seems to be in a lot of our minds and it seems like it's a very worthwhile effort to try to answer them and so here we are you know discussing them every chance we get i wonder like i do think like i was come to through being going down the rabbit hole and all that it's like i've come to just put things in perspective a little bit it's like bitcoin is a good tool for this life but what about the afterlife or what about eternity but it is i think why i'm trying to think like why does it relate to religious things or to truth and maybe because it is a truth and it's a, it's a tool that is that is good for this earth but i do think eternity matters and i was just thinking like jesus talks about um you know, store up your treasures in heaven where moth and rust don't corrupt. Or he talks about, um, you know, look at the birds of the of the air. They don't worry about what they're going to wear or what they're going to eat. Um, so Christians or of, of that worldview had the ability to do that prior, prior to Bitcoin, which is good because I do think at the end of the day, we're all going to die. And that's an important reality that we have to remember. And there's a pastor, I forget his name, but he kind of uses the analogy. He brings this world on his stage and it goes off stage. You don't even know how big it is. And he's got a little bit of tape on it like this long and he holds it up. He's like, this is your life, but this is eternity. Like you're not bound by time after. So what are we, what are we doing in that time? So your time preference definitely comes across in that aspect of life. And I wasn't even thinking too, Jesus talks about, you know, man shall not live by bread alone. So, or you could say by earthly energy alone, but by every word that proceeds from the, the mouth of God. So it, it's, just it's become it's it's forced you to think about earthly things bitcoin has but also just to to put in perspective the eternity and what happens after we die and yeah, well, it's interesting because like there's there is that dichotomy because jesus talks about sort of like the, the heavenly perspective but then he's also like the, throughout the whole bible there's such an, an investment in in the matters of earth being truthful as well too because i think about how he talks about just weights and just measures and you know how um like it, he hated sort of the the oppression of the poor, the stealing from the poor by by those in power. And it makes me think about Jordan Peterson's interview. And I can't remember her name. And I'm like ashamed to say that. But she, he did an interview with um, a woman who escaped from North Korea. And it was one of the most powerful interviews I've ever seen. But she talks about how she didn't have time to think about education, philosophy, the future, because all she was doing was trying to find grasshoppers to feed herself during the day. Mm. And that's what happens when there's oppression of the poor or there's oppression of a people. And like from the Christian worldview, God hates that too. So he's so invested in the earthly as well as kind of the eternal perspective and how those two come together is, is really fascinating for me. But, and I think that's why like Sam and I sometimes in discussions feel so passionate about Bitcoin is also how it impacts third world countries and the poor. And so it's, it's much deeper than how, you know, someone who invested in Bitcoin in 2011, when we had no concept of it at that time is now really, really wealthy. Yes. That's a part of the, of what has happened in the journey of Bitcoin, but there's so much more in terms of what Bitcoin is and how it will impact um, other nations around the world that feels part of that similar theme of, of justice and of um yeah protecting their work and their energy too absolutely I, and i think the lady you're probably referring to is referring to is you know me park yes that sound right yes. yeah 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 she's got an incredible story but yeah it's a good example how you know this is kind of like a maslow's hierarchy of needs sort of thing right like if you're just 
scraping and fighting to survive. Well, you know, the idea of these big questions of like, well, what is the greatest value and how do I actualize my highest self and these sorts of things like, well, you're never going to consider those, right? Because as you say, you're worrying about filling up your stomach and finding a place, you know, a place to rest your head at night sort of thing. Um, and I think Bitcoin is a force that's going to permit more and more people to gain access to or, or to satisfy those lower needs so that they can start to consider the higher needs, you know, the higher ideas of, of what is, you know, human actualization taken to its zenith or pinnacle, you know, and that's a super compelling question for pretty much everybody. Right. And I think, you know, the, the religious connection is very, one that's very interesting. And I think about it a lot and, and trying to write about it. And it's just, it's, it's I think it's very deep, but I think one of the easy um, connections that you could make is just that this thing treats everyone the same and every, and as a result fairly. And so there is no, there's, there's, you can't corrupt it in terms of making it favor one person or another. And there's something very godlike about that almost like that. It's, it's treating everyone the same and there's nothing you can do to change that. And, and then it's, you know, there's a meritocracy about that because it means you're not being benefited or uh, held back in, in any capacity. You're just, you have access to the same thing that I have access to, that they have access to. And then another, you know, kind of easy one is that it is a absolute immutable form of truth, right? And I think, you know, this, that idea of the highest truth or the grandest truth permeates a lot of religious traditions and Christianity probably being one of them as being almost a, a means of a reflection of God or a part of God's properties or something like that, where, you know, it's, it's something that's inviolable, something that cannot be lied to, something that cannot be uh yeah super like cannot be superseded or you know the again you lack words when you try to go as, as deep as possible on the idea of truth but i think that's part of the reason why these analogies and these connections are made um what's it been like for you guys so because you you know you mentioned that march and then kind of the fall of 2021 bitcoin is such an incredible like intellectual stimulation What's it been like for you guys going from this not even being a part of your lives to I'm getting a feeling like pretty orange pilled. Um, so what's it been like in terms of just uh, the intellectual vibrance that it brings to your life, not just how it, it is a tool that you can use to improve your lives, but the aspect of the, you know, the intellect, intellectual aspect of how this has changed things for you. Gives us something to talk about. <laughs> um, it's been good. I was, I was also thinking in my head, I'm like, oh, it's a lonely road. Um, it's hard to talk to people about, but it's definitely, it's it's been exciting. It's been able for me anyways, just look at things in a different light, um, kind of following the macro picture a bit, which I'm also like can be a bit like doom and gloom and repetitive, right. repetitive. It's like, okay, it, it's probably, you're probably right. We just don't know the time. The one question that's always come up is like, well, how now shall I live? It's like, you can know all this, but you still, I still got to go to work tomorrow and still got to raise my kids. And mm. that's, that's been, been one thing, right? It's like, oh yeah, number go up and then we can check out. No, it's like, that's not going to happen. But, um, but it's, yeah, it's just opened up a window and just 
trying to look at things in a different light. I was thinking before too, trying to use, like, I think the rock brand has that the anatomy of the state. And I've been trying to use that on my kids. Like when the one, one of our ch children wants something, another one uh, is crying one. I'm like, listen, you guys can either use force or you can trade. So find something to trade and <laughs> it's a win-win for both. So that, that's been one aspect. <laughs> For me, what I've really enjoyed about it is like definitely sort of the 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 intellectual theoretical part of it. Um, and it, and to me, that's also, I think, enabled us to have some sort of level of confidence throughout the dips because we basically came in in, uh, in late November or I mean, sorry, late 2020, early 2021. But that's that wasn't what compelled us into Bitcoin. And so even though Bitcoin has been really volatile since it it hasn't really shaken me too much which is it's like of course it's like oh bummer but it's just not really part of it for me i think we have a pretty long-term perspective on it so that's been helpful to kind of feel like we're diving deep into understanding what bitcoin is and so the, the volatility in the immediate isn't too um yeah unnerving for us you mentioned or we're your... just we're or we're just <laughs> maybe too risky i don't know but you're just psychopaths at this we're point. just fools yeah <laughs> <laughs> what do you speaking of what do your friends think of uh this new interest that you guys have developed are any are any of them with you or are they thinking you're kind of weird so we have some that are like way down the rabbit hole with us and then there's others who are we're trying to orange fill and we're trying to do it gently and not too forcefully but um yeah it's it's fun like it's often a conversation around campfires and uh and things but i think what's what i struggle with is being really careful that it's not presented in this like kind of get rich scheme, but it's more of like, what is it? Because I also don't want to feel responsible for people who jump into it because they hear us talking about it. And then it, it falls by 70% and, and they're freaking out and their lives depend on it. So I think I, I say to Sam, like we have to be really responsible with that in our conversations, um, especially for maybe younger. So relatives. that being the, that being the case, like, can you share with me how you kind of present it to those people? I mean, you don't have to give me the full Basically, pitch, if they mention just, yeah. anything, you you bring it back to Bitcoin. <laughs> <laughs> um, but like, yeah, sorry, for, I, it's uh, just trying to just ask questions. Just like, well, okay, just ask yourself, how does our current system work? And usually that they, we don't know. So it just kind of maybe ask the question, but just try not to be too overbearing and, you know, don't cast your pearls before the swine. No, I'm just joking. But um, just, you know, know your audience and, and just try and have fun with it too. Right. And I, I'm kind of getting the feeling that you probably don't position it as like a big speculative asset, but more as like a savings technology as it were. Yep, yep. definitely. Yeah. And trying to just use it. Like, I think part of it will also be using it. So getting some people sort of, if some family or whatever um, are able to do something for us, like I get haircuts or whatever, it's like, okay, I can pay you in this currency. Nice. Nice. Has it changed? Um, you know, there's been a lot going on in Canada since COVID basically, but has it altered, you know, political views for you guys um, over the last, well, since you've been going down the rabbit hole? I used to think Kara's brother was a, bit, a little bit crazy, but maybe he's right. He was more libertarian. <laughs> and I definitely going that way a little bit more. It's like, yeah, I think we've gone too far with the rules. We just need to cut them back. And just let the free market decide a lot more stuff. But that's me personally. What about you, Kara? 
Yeah, I think, I, I don't know, I guess I like to just sort of take each issue or specific as it's kind of presented to me and then kind of debate that idea. Like I, I struggle with sort of broad brushing systems or broad brushing, um, yeah, huge political things versus just talking about the actual idea. And I think it can get people into trouble and kind of create really like separate teams and separate forces rather than just thinking, okay, what's the issue? What's the problem? And what's potential solutions to come out of that? I try to do that at work too, like um, with our business, just saying whenever something comes up, it's really easy to kind of wallow in the problem, but like, okay, what is the problem? And what's, you know, what's some potential solutions to get out of it? So I feel like, and you like just the whole COVID experience over the last couple of years has created a lot of um, teams within communities and um, yeah, isolation, sort of like se separation of ideas. And I think a lot of people probably desire and want similar things than, than mm -hmm. their neighbors, you know? So if you can have a constructive conversation to, to move from some of the issues to ideas, that's probably best. How, how rational of you. It's almost <laughs> weird to hear it in this day and age, but was that, was that always how you got down or so Bitcoin didn't really have an influence on that. Maybe it just changed some of the subject matter that, that got pulled into those, you know, discussions. Yeah, I think so. I think, I think Bitcoin is just a really good example of, you know, a technology that's trying to solve real world problems and issues. So I think that's worth sort of talking about and digging into. And I like that part of it because it's not political. It's, it's, it doesn't, you know, create specific sides. Anybody can come into it and, and see it for what it is. So I like that. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of, you know, you mentioned a few minutes back, um, there are certain things that you think Bitcoin doesn't fix just out of curiosity. What, what are the things that when you hear you kind of, I don't know, you disagree, you don't think it goes that far? I don't think it cures human nature. I think it can help. I think like, I, I guess fundamentally, I, I believe like Jesus saves as a Christian and, you know, transforms our life. And that doesn't mean Christians are perfect either because we're not like nobody's better than others and neither are Christians. But I think there's an element of like, Jesus was the perfect example. And I'm just not sure that in this world and in, in this time, um, like, I think we can, there can be decisions and there can be better things within, within society to strive for good, but I'm, I'm not sure that Bitcoin will be sort of the saving grace. Um, and I guess one of my questions is, and you can push back on me this too, on this too, if you disagree, but I wonder, one of my questions is how could Bitcoin be used as a tool, um, for evil potentially you know like how is are do we have these unknowns in in terms of the future for how it could be used for for evil and I, i'm not sure what that would be but it is a question that i kind of keep in my mind sure sure i mean it's agnostic right i mean well i mean i say that i i think as we said earlier i mean the fact that it treats everyone fairly the fact that that is part of its fundamental architecture you could and I have in the past ascribed a certain morality to that to say, well, is that not emblematic of broadly speaking, something that's good rather than evil now, you know, who knows, maybe, maybe yes, maybe no. But I think the easier case to make is that it's just a tool, right? And a tool can be used for bad or for good. Like, and, and this is part of the problem. And this is the genesis, I think, of a lot of the mainstream, you know, FUD that comes from people that don't have a, a super good understanding of Bitcoin, but they understand it enough to say, hey, 
if we can't sanction it, if we can't control it, if we can't do all this kind of stuff, then bad guys are going to use it. And the uncomfortable answer, the uncomfortable, truthful answer to those people is that, yeah, you're right. People, are, when you give people freedom, yeah. freedom means they're going to be able to do what they want, at least in whatever limited capacity that freedom exists within. And when you're talking about a money, when you're talking about the means to basically exact or assert your will in the world, uh, that means that someone who has that money is going to be able to exert their will in the world to the extent that, you know, in relation to how much of that money they have, let's say. And you are probably going to be able to do very little to stop that. Now, that doesn't mean that justice doesn't exist. I mean, if someone decides to pay someone to kill somebody and they're found out, then sure, you know, whatever the the paradigm of justice dictates is is reasonable to punish that person or to do with that person, then I, I think that will still exist. But the problem uh, is that, and and this this again is kind of why the religious associations are interesting. It's like it doesn't. You mentioned human nature, and, and I think I'm not entirely sure what human nature is. If there's very like easily definable lines about what it is, but the fact remains is like people are going to do good and people are going to do bad, and we've discussed some of the systemic or architectural dynamics that cause people to skew towards what we might call bad behavior versus good behavior. And I certainly think that Bitcoin is going to erect a system that upregulates or incentivizes the to the good to be drawn out of us. And that is like amazing. That is so hopeful and awesome. And I think it's going to reduce the circumstances that increase the likelihood that people, that the evil that's, let's say, in all of us is drawn out in more people. I think that's going to be a, a profound impact that Bitcoin has. But I don't think that you could ever say that it will eliminate the propensity for the evil aspect of ourselves to be drawn out because, you know, in some, in some cases and in some amount, it probably will always happen. But I think you just, you just said that so well. And I think you also narrowed it on something that some friends have said to me as well. At the end of the day, like, like you said, there's always going to be good and there's always going to be evil and people are just going to, you know, find ways. But I guess what it does is it pushes me to think, yeah, but that doesn't mean that we shouldn't try to come up with systems that are better or money that is better or, or fix, you know, what is broken so that we are striving for those ideals of, of justice and truth and good mm -hmm. and trying to keep at bay you know, the elements that are evil. So yeah, I think it's it's actually just a generic question even that friends bring up, like, well, who cares? What's it going to do? Yeah. And some sometimes the way I uh, visualize it is that, you know, these religion or philosophy or whatever your relationship to the divine or the metaphysical or however we want to characterize what's going on there. I think, you know, Bitcoin, all of our actions are an expression of that relationship right and you know sometimes we fail in maintaining a fidelity with that relationship and that's revealed in our actions and other times we might say hey our actions were you know a, a great reflection of my relationship to the divine let's say and i think money is if we accept the fact that money is a means of exerting your will out into a broader space of the world you know the those money tokens are just little aspects of your will being exerted all throughout a, a more broader and, and more complex, a broader and more complex system. Then I think, you know, the, the degree to which the, the money is able to maintain the fidelity of your actions, it's also maintaining the fidelity of the place from which you determine your actions, which again, is that relationship to the divine or the metaphysical. 
And so I think um, the more that the money can can have integrity in in what it's communicating there, then the the more the money can almost be like an expression of the divine in a sense, you know, because if you are an expression of the divine, then the thing that's representing you out in the market carries at least a, an element of that. And the more that it can carry that, I think, the, the, let's let's just say that the cleaner the communication channel from wherever it is you determine your behavior to how it is expressed out in the world, the, the clearer that channel, uh, then the more whatever it, <laughs> sorry, this is a bit convoluted, but the more that however it is you're defining your how righteous your action is, however you're coming to determine how you should act, um, the more that's being, the source of that is being reflected out in the world, something like that. And I think if that is the case, then that, that would be a skew, another skewing towards the good. We would allow more of, of the good to, to be expressed or, or something like that. And sorry, I know this is super long-winded, but I think that is also why these questions are re-emerging once people go down the Bitcoin rabbit hole and they start to feel that sense of security and freedom that it instills these questions, these larger metaphysical or religious questions bubble up because you begin to wonder like, what is it I'm expressing out in the world and how am I determining what that should be? And um, to your point, like there will always be evil, but to the extent that the tools that we engage in and the system that we're, participating in helps us to avoid the pitfalls of that or to 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 more easily engage in the the aspects of ourselves that are good then i think that goes a long way to improving you know our circumstance here absolutely that was uh, a bit long no i loved it it was excellent <laughs> one thing that that's just like a kind of along with that it's just it is an interesting um, invention that's come about or a combination of things that's come about at an interesting time than the fact that the creator kind of stepped away from it. It's it's interesting. Who knows whether, I mean, it also created digital currencies, whether for good or bad, but it, it is, it, it is, it's a, it's very, it's very interesting for sure. The whole concept and, and yeah, it, it is part of you. If money represents energy and your energy and your work, that's your past. I think Breedlove said it awesome on his one podcast, but like, you know, life, liberty and property mm. and your property is your past. So yeah, you want to have ownership of that. And like your family is something I've kind of just thrown out ideas, but like, we want to be able to create something from nothing but we can't, right? Only God could do that. And we would argue in creation, he does that. But fiat is that attempt, but it's a big lie. But the closest time you come to creating something from nothing, I would argue, is conception, like with children. So that's, and then that's, you know, passed down through the timeline. Yeah. Thought. Yeah. I think that's a great point. And, and Breedlove actually mentioned that on our chat the other day, um, how now he, he wasn't sure the balance of Bitcoin and having a child because they occurred for him at roughly the same time. But he did comment on how uh, fundamentally that altered his perspective and how he thought about things like value and, and uh, you know, what to aspire to be in, in the world and what to aspire to create and how to create, you know, and again, all, all these big questions. And it's just, it's uh, and the reason why I asked you that question a few minutes ago, but what you, you don't think it fixes is not to, 
you know, not to challenge or, or single you out in any way, but it's, I am always um, surprised at seeing just how related all of this stuff is, you know, all these connections. And, you know, of course, memes are used to convey, you know, some deep truth a lot of the time. And Bitcoin fixes this is one that's propagated for a reason, not that everyone can articulate exactly how it influences fill in the blank issue that you're confronting in the world. But it just seems to be such a fundamental change that and and it's and the more you think about it, and the more you kind of point that spotlight on whatever issue, you can actually kind of see a straight line between fixing this thing and how that influences at least the amelioration, if not the total fixing of another thing. And um, you know, hence the the popularity of the meme. But I um it's just it's it's amazing how how much it it seems like something like this imbued with these principles propagating as it is through the world seems likely to to have such profound effects on so many things you know it's again the the intellectual uh you know stimulation to be derived from just thinking about all that to be to, to making those you know we all lie in bed at the end of the day and we you know sometimes those connections are just being made and we're just like holy shit you know like the the holy shit moments are you know there's a lot of them in bitcoin and i guess that's been your guys' experience over the last couple of years as well Totally. And I like, I, I come from a background, like I'm a, I was a high school teacher. Now I, I own a small business, but there, as a high school teacher, I'm like, how in the world did none of my students learn about this in school? How did we never have basic courses? Like, I mean, whatever, there was like a few, I don't know, like really basic bookkeeping courses. Maybe you could elect to in, in high school, but this is like so fundamental, even the question of what is money and diving into that. And I'm like, like, so that's, and it touches on education systems. It if you think of how much money impacts your life in different ways daily, like, yeah, it, it's no wonder that going down the rabbit hole of Bitcoin brings you into so many other spheres, relationships, social life, politics, you know, religious life, education, feels like the list is never ending. Yeah. And, and that's my struggle sometimes. And it's like Sam and I talk about this too, like in how we communicate it is how to balance sort of the excitement of the intellectual aspect with bringing it down to reality and like practical graspable ideas or metaphors that people can, can kind of grasp onto to then get to the intellectual. Cause I think if you start too high level with the theory behind it, people can tune you out really quick. And some of the, some of the examples for that, that have helped me is something like say that the idea of like how the printing press just, you know, changed and in some ways it, it, it brought down the church as the state at that time. And that concept really sticks with me. So I try to use that one. When I talk to friends, sometimes I see like Bitcoin is a dematerialization almost of probably a lot of the systems that we use right now that, you know, we won't necessarily need to in the future or for our business, I have to send a lot of wire transfers and just like the practical elements of the frustration with sending a wire transfer is just mm -hmm. a good example to kind of tap into something that's tangible about Bitcoin before you go to high level. Sure. A hundred percent. And I, I think that's part of the reason why, you know, we kind of tongue in cheek refer to those people as normies. Now, when you're like deep down the Bitcoin rabbit hole, cause there's such a, there's such a distance, right. And which part, part of the reason why hanging out with Bitcoiners is so great because you get to just like, you don't have to worry about how crazy you're sounding. You just go full yeah. bore, you know? And then when you go back to like normal life, you're like, oh yeah, I gotta, yeah. I gotta be more careful about how I position this thing, you know? But I, I think one of the, and I think the example you used is great. 
I don't, I don't um, actually speak to that many people, you know, that are non-Bitcoiners anymore. But I think one of the ones that um, seems to is easy, at least, and a lot of is like what ha what happens to the world when theft is no longer possible, or when theft is no longer like a well, it's not easy to steal from people, let's say, or it's much more difficult to steal from people. And, you know, a lot of people don't even realize that inflation is theft, for example. And so that's like part of the hurdle to overcome. And I mean, just as, a, as an aside, it's crazy how people will defend that, you know, like your average person who's got money in the bank and you tell them that inflation is theft and they're like, oh no, you know, and they've got some theory about, you know, the necessity of inflation or that the Bank of Canada remits their profits to the government or like all this kind of stuff. But as a thought exercise, when, when theft is no longer possible, which institutions and in society will have to shrink or readjust as a result of that? And, and you know, again, to refer to Rob, like he, he discusses a lot about how the business model of the nation state is, is basically taking versus making, you know, and making is the voluntary, voluntary, um, you know, uh, structure or basis that we referred to earlier. And so what happens when you, when you can't steal people either surreptitiously or directly. And I think, like we said, you get a lot more voluntary behavior and you get a lot more value discovery and creation, but you get less of whatever institutions are around today as a result of the ease with which they can siphon off wealth from people. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, we live in such interesting times because this is such a radical change. And as we often remind ourselves, we're 13 years in. I mean, it's, you know, study history. 13 years is nothing. Nothing happens in that period of time. You know, it's like, it's a blink of an eye. And so much has already happened, but just projecting out five years is almost impossible in, in Bitcoin because of the, the, how fundamentally different it is on such a fundamental level of how we organize as human beings. Um, you know, we all hope for a, a relatively smooth transition, but we've, we seem to be fairly entrenched in a taking sort of society, as we've been alluding to now. I mean, peak fiat, as it's often called, right? I mean, what happens when a civilization is 50 years into the ability for the money printers to basically steal as much as they want from the global population? And we're seeing, you know, you look around, you see the issues with that manifest everywhere, like we alluded to around mental health or just social degradation in various forms. And, uh, you know, I think Bitcoiners would likely, would rightly point to that theft as being causative to all those problems. And part of the problem we have in the world today is that many people don't see that. So you get this divide and this polarization between people that think it's caused by X or it could be resolved by Y or whatever. But... But yeah, when when that the the unwinding process or the, the 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 corrective mechanism to bring that back to being grounded in truth or being grounded in more fair or 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 better principles, we're in the middle of it, and um, we shall see how it's going to turn out. But hopefully, we all. Do you remember? Do you remember all of those advertisements about? Um watching videos on certain like websites with piracy and like that was when kind of like the, the mega upload and all those things were going on in the early 2000s right and like the the industry of music and movies like didn't didn't go lightly with that stuff but technology was changing their space and mm. 
in some ways, there was a lot of the threats, there was a lot of litigation at the beginning, but they also had to reckon with the reality of how the technology was changing them. And I'm not like justifying, you know, uploading videos that, you know, nobody had had the claims to or anything, but that concept of technology changing the industry, whether they like it or not, will probably start with a lot of, of threats and, and, you know, a strong reaction to it. But I also think at the end of the day, there isn't much you can do with this technology and it's going to change things. And so it might be rocky to try to stop it at the beginning, but it's, yeah, there's only so much they'll be able to do. Totally. I mean, what, what happens when you encounter a technology that can't be stopped? I mean, you have to conform yeah. to it because by definition, you're not able to make it conform to you. It, ultimately, you know, you may try it and, and that's the reason why it can be a messy process, but if it can't be changed, you're the, you're the one that has to change both on a personal and a institutional and on a systemic level. And, um, you know, we'll see how willing and humble people are. If people are humble enough to engage that process, um, you know, willingly or smoothly, or if there's going to be a fight about it. And it, it also kind of brings up the notion of like a certain technological determinism, right? It's like, wow, we, and you may, you mentioned the printing press earlier, which is another great example. Like, the church could, you know, fight that all it wanted to at the institution of the church at the time. But what are you going to, I mean, once it was brought about, you can't really do anything about it. You know, information is going to propagate far more quickly and easily. And to whatever degree you held a monopoly on information, it's now it's, you know, rapidly being undone. And so you have all these episodes in history that technological innovations kind of redirect the course of civilization and how we interact with one another and the institutions that are constructed around that. And it makes you kind of wonder, it's like, what's guiding that? What's guiding the, the, the technological innovation that we're bubbling up as we interact with one another, because it's so, it has such a huge influence on how we end up constructing our lives and interacting with one another, et cetera. So, I mean, I don't have an answer to that, but it's, it's interesting. As you're talking, I'm like envisioning I'm, and wondering, does truth want to be free? And it's like, you know, is truth trying to get out through the church and it can't, and then it goes through the printing press and now it's trying to get out and through the money system. Kind I think the answer, thought. yeah, I know it's very interesting. I think the answer is probably yes. You know, we talk about uh, being forced to conform to things that can't change. You know, one of the synonyms for truth is like, you know, the unchanging, right? The the always existing, you know, again, relig religious uh, language and, and uh, mm -hmm. scripture and stuff, you know, often refers to that kind of an idea. And if you're right, you know, if, if there is a grander truth and it's trying to squeak through, you know, through our collective uh, creations, then it stands for, you know, it's, it's just, it's going to assert itself. And it's something that we can either choose to try to align with um, and in, for the betterment of our lives and our interpersonal relationships and that kind of stuff, or we can resist and probably, you know, suffer the consequences of resisting the thing that can't be changed, that, that is going to assert itself, you know, and I, I know we're, we're, we're wandering into like very, it, it reminds very, me of the, the sailor thing. It's like the <laughs> Chinese billionaire or whatever, like gravity is a truth theory. You can either choose to accept it or yeah. try and fight it. Yeah. yeah well, and exactly. force, force distorts truth too. So if I think about my kids, like if, if I want them to do something and I like, 
use my power as a mom to force them to do it. Like it's distorting the truth. And I think that concept of having like fair balances and using wisdom to like, to, to instruct or to woo them to, to the point that it becomes their will as well, that wants to do it for their good Mm. and how they see, like, that's, it's just a totally different way of, of moving through life or through relationships and, and technology that can kind of try to create, like you said, like kind of be, um, can't remember what the term was you use, but it's, it's not forcing one way or the other. There's some free will of the people coming into it to engage with it. Um, and, and not to be bailed out of it when things go wrong with another distortion of, of truth too. So kind of like the hyper spoiling of your child, when you, you bail them out when they do something wrong and also like the hyper forcing of your children. So both of those swaying, reactions or dealing with situations can cause a lot of harm and untruth yeah you see bitcoin fixes parenting also yeah. <laughs> another thing, another thing there you go. there's the title <laughs> <laughs> do you guys do your kids i mean are they uh are they little hodlers like do they know about bitcoin and get their allowance in bitcoin or anything like that they're talking about it but mostly they make fun of me (laughs) (laughs) so we have we have this poster it's hilarious so my daughter when we like we were talking about it all the time together at night and and my daughter tessa she's uh she's eight she drew a poster for for sam and we have it hung up in our closet and it's like I think it says daddy loves bitcoin daddy loves bitcoin and then there's this chart and it's just like up and down up and down but it's definitely going up but... story of my life yeah <laughs> so that's hung up in our closet that's awesome i mean we we reflected on our the hodl chat that we uh, did a couple of days ago um that it it or maybe on a recent discussion i can't remember which one it was but it you know it should be you you referred to it as well that as your time as a teacher you know there's no financial education really. And to the extent that there is, it's very surface level. I mean, it's, it's not giving an understanding of the fundamentals of the system, but rather, you know, how to kind of operate on the, on the surface level of it. And I think uh, it's going to be very commonplace and very important in the future that at some point, I, I mean, I don't know when you introduce it to a child's consciousness, you know, these sorts of considerations, but certainly you're not, not going to introduce, you know, what, money represents and how to engage money and you know all of these things that we've been denied you know and and not not maliciously most of the time just the you know the people that teach us and the people that determine our curriculums and that is a problem in itself in my Mm -hmm. opinion that there's these centralized places that are determining what ought to be learned by different people in different environments with different values etc but notwithstanding that you know uh it's left out for whatever reason and I, uh, I think it would be a massive service to young people to have a better understanding of how that all this works, because at the end of the day, it's going to be part of what allows them to determine how to orient their life and how to execute on the things that they believe are valuable and that they're, whatever their aspirations are, they're going to have to engage in that system. And I think the more that they understand it at an earlier age, the more capable they'll be at doing that. And, you know, that'll just be a, kind of like a duh thing to integrate into the education of a of a young person hopefully in the not too distant future and through asking questions because i think that's something that 
like I was really privileged to have his growing, growing up. Like there was always wild debates in my household and, and like That's really awesome. rigorous discussions, sometimes probably unhealthy, sometimes, you know, not always said in the best ways, but there was an atmosphere of questioning each other, thinking critically. And so then also kind of like just asking the questions maybe as a parent to our kids too, or, and, and like fostering an atmosphere of, of good, healthy debate is maybe helpful too. Absolutely. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. Do the kids like get an allowance in Bitcoin or, or have they not gotten to we that don't have a, We don't make enough fiat to spare any. So. <laughs> <laughs> so the truth is dad wants to keep all the Bitcoin. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I'll, keep, I'll keep the keys for now. Yeah. Just for safekeeping, right? Yeah, 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 safekeeping. yeah. You can trust me. <laughs> <laughs> but I was explaining it to my son the other day. I'm like, he's like, what? So I'll give you money and then I'll buy Bitcoin with it. And I'm like, yeah, he's like, nah, I don't want to do that. <laughs> like, well, it might go up over time and stuff. I he's, didn't quite get it yet. And then I like went into, well, did you know that the government steals from us through a place? He's too young to get it. Yeah. I'm like, don't <laughs> radicalize our child. <laughs> <laughs> and then you're like, listen, bro, I don't even want your dirty fiat anyways. I'm doing you a favor here, okay? Yeah, yeah. I don't want to give you, you my be, sats. You should be great. You get non-KYC. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm offering you non-KYC sats at no premium. <laughs> I, I clearly didn't raise you well enough to realize how much of a gift that is. <laughs> yeah, that's seven more years of labor for me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, well, guys, anything uh, that we didn't cover today that you wanted to get off your chest or uh, say or discuss or anything like that? Um, I I really appreciate all the work you're doing. I'm really proud of like the Canadians in this space, like Greg Foss and Jeff Booth and yourself. So thanks for just the time and energy you pour into putting good content out there. Great discussions. It's been so helpful for us. Um, also like a lot of the books that we've read have been helpful too, but, um, I think I fall asleep almost every night listening to some sort of Bitcoin podcast. So <laughs> she's put in more hours than me. That's for sure. Wow. Wow. Well, she's thank you. I, that, that means a lot. I appreciate that. And I agree there, are, uh, there are a decent amount of, of, of good Canadian Bitcoiners. I'm not sure why that is, but yeah, it's, it's great. And more seem to be popping up all the time. I mean, Canada's kind of a crazy place in, in my opinion right now, but um, who knows? Like it could be a bit of a, what's the term? Not black sheep, but um, like, you know, it's someone who's doing poorly in the race and then ends up like uh, winning or something. Um, well, Pierre is tortoise. Like, <laughs> yeah. Something like, something about like it. that. Well, yeah, exactly. You know, so yeah. if Pierre does well and he's a man of his word and uh, Canada be, you know, it, Canada becomes a super Bitcoin friendly country, then that would be, that would be very interesting. So very cool. who knows? You know, I, I love, uh, I hate politics, but I love his, platform uh, of wanting to make Canada the freest country in the world. That's certainly an idea I can get behind, though I don't hold my breath too much for politicians to deliver it. But, you know, we shall see. I'll, I'll, I'll remain optimistic until proven otherwise. Are you still in Canada or did you flee? <laughs> no, I, I left in. I Saying I left is a bit dramatic because I was only there because I got stuck there from as I was visiting during COVID because I had been living abroad for pretty much all my adult adult life. Okay. Okay. Um, but I did get kind of stuck there. And then before the conference in 2021, I left and I knew I wouldn't be back just yeah. again, because I never planned to be there, but also, you know, things, these things, everyone knows Canada has been amongst the, the worst uh, of this whole 
COVID era, you know, the policies and the rhetoric and all has just been so crazy. And, um, you know, uh, I just didn't want to be around that stuff and I didn't want to have to, I'm, I'm not someone that bites my tongue too often if I feel a certain way about something and, you know, I, I, I don't want to get in disputes with friends or in social yeah, environments. I'd, I'd rather have productive conversations with, you know, uh, people that are more aligned, I guess. So, but I'd, I'd love to go back. I mean, of course it's a, it's a beautiful country and I really hope that, uh, the ship gets turned around and it yeah. is able to meet its potential. Cause, uh, I think it has a lot of it and Canadians are by and large, awesome people. And that, you know, the, the trucker protest was a great example of that. I mean, I was so, uh, you know, I, I say this kind of sheepishly, but I didn't think they had it in them up there, yeah, you know, yeah. but all these amazing people came together and it was peaceful and it was loving and it was uh, celebrating certain, what I think are very important and fundamental principles. And uh, I, th I think if they achieved nothing else, they just held up a mirror to what was going on there. And it's like, well, a bunch of people that just want to live normal, peaceful, happy lives came together and the response was what it was. And maybe that says, maybe that's as powerful a message as you could make. Sam was going to show up on your podcast with his Hong cat on, but I said, maybe not. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. That's great. Who, who made those? It's, it's the only hat I have now. Actually, Bitcoin magazine made them, but then they got rid of them fairly quick after. So nice. they, but I got the artwork so I can continue to make these hats. They, Amazing. Collectors. They that, so. I'll, have, I'll have to get one from you someday. All right. That's Start awesome. a business. <laughs> Well, guys, uh, thank you guys for the time and, and for the great discussion today. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm sure we'll be in touch at some point in the future. And if you ever want to chat again, just, just hit me up and we can do it. Sounds cool, good. All right, Thanks guys. Take care. See ya. See you